0: Now you know the Jewish people are celebrating Passover every spring and that, that event was given to them by God to remind them of his redeeming them out of the burden that the Egyptian had placed on them. And so every year during the spring they commemorate that manner which God brought their rescue. And if you remember a Passover lamb was slain and the blood of that lamb was put on the doorpost and the lintel of the homes. And that was a way of expressing their faith in God and his word. And of course, judgment would pass over them and they were not to be affected by that. So as they were redeemed that night from their burden of the Egyptians, they celebrated God's victory that he had given to them. And that celebration is what continues. So starting on the fifth of this week, the celebration will begin for Passover and it will go all the way through the 13th, the sunset of the 13th. And that celebration is to commemorate the great rescue that God gave. And so people would just flood in. In fact, they're flooding in now to Jerusalem. The last hotel we spent, uh, they, they couldn't cook in the kitchens. They had to bring food in because they had to do the cleaning of the kitchens in preparation for what would take place during Passover. That's the term spring cleaning where that comes from. You have to get rid of all the, the uh, leaven in the place, all the bread in the place that may have been leavened. You've got to get rid of all that. You've got to get rid of all the crumbs even. So they literally shut the kitchen down so that they can make sure that they are ready for the Passover event and all that would be transpiring. That's just going on over and over and over. Now, for Palm Sunday, the very Sunday that you and I think about, Jesus making his way down the hillside of the Mount of Olives, through the valley and up into the eastern or the Golden Gate. It's known by both names. As that is going on, the people are making their movement to the city because Passover is coming. Passover is near. And so, because of that, they are flooding from all over the world to come to that place. It's a pilgrimage, one of three, that God says, you ought to do that, and you ought to do it in Jerusalem. So, there are mass amounts of people, just numbers and numbers of people that are coming through. And traditionally, they are cheering, and they're chanting, and they're singing, they're rejoicing. Because they are able to come to that holy city. It was a place that God had given to them. So there's great celebration. And the celebration is we are no longer under the burden of our enslavers, the Egyptians. And they're celebrating that. And so as people are coming, they're chanting back and forth. The residents are saying, welcome, shalom. And those who are coming in are being greeted and felt the love. And it is tradition that they would sing back and forth or chant back and forth a portion of the Hallel. Now, the Hallel is the 113 through 118 Psalms, and uh, it's just a fantastic group of Scripture. Uh, And just so that we get the feel of that, I want to do that with one another. So on the screens, you'll see a section. I'll play like I'm the... uh, the permanent resident of Jerusalem who is welcoming you, those who are coming into the city for Passover. So I'll say the first part. You say the second part. You got it? Got it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. All right, now there would be a little bit more expression for them because they would have this portion memorized. And it was something that they would do every year. I mean, I hate to bring it up, but it's like when somebody says Roll Tide to an Alabama fan, it's pretty, pretty synonymous that it's going to come out Roll Tide in you too, right? I mean, it's, it's going to happen. Or for you who are War Eagle fans, you could be somewhere in the world and you say War Eagle to somebody who's also an Auburn fan, they will say, chant back War Eagle. So, in this way, it's just an expression back and forth. It's part of the custom, and it's part of the tradition. And to the Jewish people, the Hallel, this portion of the latter chapter of this Hallel, 118, this is so knitted into them, the expression comes so readily. It just comes out of them with great enthusiasm. So it was in that kind of celebration that was happening and these chants and these cheers and the music that's playing in the background and the people clapping and dancing for they're making their way into Jerusalem. It's in that background that Jesus makes his appearance in the triumphant entry of Matthew chapter 21. So let's read this together. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to the house of figs or it's known as Bethphage. Beth, by the way, means house. Fiji means fig. So it's the place where figs, they were small green fruits that were plentiful in that area. To the Mount of Olives. When Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied with a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And let's sort of focus in for a moment on this phrase, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna is simply a plea for salvation. It's a plea to save us. Whenever you're hearing the word Hosanna, you know that somebody is looking for and in need of salvation. The trouble is that they didn't recognize what their need of salvation was. You need to know from what you must be saved if you're gonna ask somebody to save you. For the people there in Israel in that day, particularly those who were in Jerusalem announcing Hosanna to Jesus, the son of David, they thought that their need of salvation was from the Roman occupiers, those who were subjecting them to the Roman way of life, the Roman custom and the Roman tax. They were under a heavy burden. And so they were asking Jesus to rescue them Could I just ask you, why did you ask Christ to save you? If you're asking him to save you today, what are you asking him to save you from? If you're asking him to save you from loneliness, brokenness, despair, anxiety, if you're asking him to rescue you from your Declining health, those are all good things, but they are not the great thing. The great need for our life is that we would be saved from damnation, that we would be rescued from God's judgment against us, that we would be made clean and made whole and righteous through Jesus Christ, who is the only one who could do that. So many people look to Jesus to save them. They're just not knowing from what they must be saved from. Be saved from this life of sin. Be saved from this life of spiritual death. And be saved by Christ Jesus. So Palm Sunday is commemorating this triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Now when you think of triumphs and you think about parades like this, uh, the Roman Empire put it on like nobody else. When you think about the victories that they were conquering lands and people and the parading that would take place afterwards, they did it like nobody else. Uh, There before at the very beginning of the parade would be the the state officials, the empire officials, and the Roman Senate. Then would come the trumpeteers announcing that this is going on and the great spoils would be presented through the cities as they were bringing the spoils of war through. Even drawings of the conquered land and the palaces and all that had been captured would be presented to the people in the parades as they're just moving through the city. And then following that, you would have the defeated ones, the princes of the land, the leaders, the generals, all those who were defeated, who are now bound and being marched through the city unto their death, no doubt. Trailing them would be the lictors who would have their rods, making sure that all those prisoners, captives of war would stay in line and then, of course, would be the musicians with their lyres and the pagan priests of the Roman Empire who had a pantheon of gods that would, they would serve and, and worship. They would do their thing as the march continues. And then you would have the victorious general, the one who would be on the chariot being driven through by four great stallions. And in his hand would be an ivory scepter with the Roman eagle on top. And over his head, a slave would hold the great crown of Jupiter, and then his family would proceed and all the honor would be laid on them. And then finally you'd have the victorious army, the one who actually brought the, the pursuit. And they were highly decorated and shouting their triumphant cry. There's nobody who did a triumphant entry like Rome did one. And Jesus was totally the opposite. Jesus took two of his disciples and said, I want you to go to that village that's before us, and I want you to find a colt, a beast of burden, and I want you to find that animal and its offspring, and I want you to bring it to me. He would ride, the Alpha and the Omega would ride into the holy city in his triumphant entry on a beast of burden, And that ride would not be on a majestic stallion, would not be in a chariot. Instead, it would be on the donkey's foal, one that was intended to carry a load. Man, those are two radically different worldviews, aren't they? And of course, he's doing this intentionally. Now, normally, Jesus was not up for crowds. You ever notice that when the crowd started gathering, Jesus started turning up the heat? When the crowds would go in the masses, he knew that they were just looking for more miracles, more words. They were rejectors of him as the Messiah. They were just after the razzle and dazzle. And it's like Jesus would, would make the teaching that much more difficult to the point that it would be just him and the disciples again. But now he's cherishing the crowds. He wants them to see what's happening. He wants them to see the very different way in which his kingdom ought to be understood. He wants them to see the, the words of the prophet is coming about. Now, the crowd was definitely there. It was there for Passover, but the fervor about Jesus came because the word about him had spread. Lazarus, who had just been resurrected down in Bethany, no doubt had made his march around, telling everybody about what Jesus had done for him two blind men who were rescued from their blindness just down the the way in Jericho through the wilderness. They too had made that 15-mile journey, no doubt telling people about what God had done for them. And all throughout the ministry of Christ, he was making manifest his great wisdom, his great authority. And all those people who came to understand who he is, they were making their march telling about this Jesus. So when he arrives, the news had spread, and now the excitement is at a fevered pitch, and they rush to see him as he's coming down the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley and into that eastern gate. He is making known the words of Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus came riding on a donkey. A beast of burden. The lowliest of all animals. One that was lived its life in animal servitude. Why would he do that? Why would he ride a beast of burden? I can tell you why. Because he came bearing a burden as the suffering servant who would take away our sins. He would carry our burdens there through Jerusalem all the way through that week and all that would transpire to the point that he was hanging on a cross Jesus came as the suffering servant because salvation would not be gained waging war against Rome. Salvation comes through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ at the hands of the Romans. He would carry the burden of sin and judgment and death upon himself. He would prove to be mankind's way for eternal salvation. Before he would provide victory over their enemies, he would provide victory for their heart. Jesus would rule and reign in a spiritual kingdom on the hearts of people long before he would be enthroned in Jerusalem. So he came humbly inviting people to understand and enter into his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of the world. So even as Jesus came, he did not come to be served, but he came to serve. The Messiah purposefully came humbly And gently and in peace. So he rode the foal of a donkey in the city while the crowds were cheering and shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now the excitement obviously is peaking there. People are shoulder to shoulder. The music is loud and the people are loud as well. They're pushing through the gate, singing that hallel, clapping and happily celebrating Many wondered what about this unusual fervor of hope and anticipation? That kind of mood would be electrifying, wouldn't it? It was a stirred up crowd, no doubt. And so, in the midst of all that, some people are asking, who is this? Who is it that you're asking who might be the son of David? Who is he? Which bears the question, Who is Jesus? Who actually is he? Now, you ought to consider your answer very carefully for your response is going to be the most important answer you'll ever give. Who is Jesus? Now, everybody in the passage today got it wrong. The Romans got it wrong. The Romans failed to consider who Jesus was they, they were too involved in their pantheon of gods in order to consider him as being the God. The Romans were given in lust and in violence and, and all kinds of power. They didn't consider Jesus to be God in the flesh. So they dismissed him. He looked like a simple peasant to them and if he is a peasant looking man, he certainly doesn't look like a, a king and if he doesn't look like a king, he can't look like a god so they just dismissed him. Jesus wasn't riding on a horse leading an army. It surrounded himself with blue collar guys, fishermen for the most part from the place of Galilee. He's not riding a horse. He's riding a donkey, one that had never been ridden before. This is no king. They were blinded to the truth because they were, they were given to the way of the world. It makes us. Pause to think, man, if we're given to the way of the world, we will be blinded to truth. We need Jesus to open the eyes of people, open their ears, open their heart that they might understand Him. Who is He? Now, some people dismiss Jesus just because they they find that He doesn't fit in their preconceived notion about. God. In other words, they ignore him or reject him because their expectations aren't quite met. Their experiences in life don't match up. Some dismiss Jesus and his church because trusting and following in him would be too radical a shift for them. And they're just not not willing to give so much. They ponder, how am I going to explain that I trust in Jesus as the Messiah? How am I going to explain that to my friends and my family? So they just dismiss him. I should remind us of John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So the condemnation of God is already upon people until they trust Christ. And then he will lift that condemnation off them as he takes it upon himself at the cross of Christ. So missing Jesus is to miss out on all that he provided for us I don't want people to miss him the Romans missed him what about the response of the Jews they obviously got it wrong as well the crowds were cheering and celebrating at his arrival they're asking who is this and listen to their reply this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee I can tell you Jesus is far more than a prophet from a so-called place of Nazareth Could anything good ever come from Nazareth, they used to say? He is far more than a prophet. Jesus said it himself. I and the Father are one. He said, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. He made I am statements over and over and over. There's seven that are just so prominent throughout the book of John. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Jesus declared who he is. Listen. Ask God to open your ears to listen to his proclamation about who he is. It's essential that you understand Jesus' identity. He's more than a prophet, more than a good teacher, more than a humanitarian. He is God in the flesh. Because he is God in the flesh, his death on the behalf of sinful people, including each of us, was sufficient to pay the debt that we owed. He's not just some man, he is the man God. In simple terms, Jesus had to be God to pay our debt, and he had to be man so that he could die. Salvation is only possible through Jesus Christ. So we give our trust to him. Coming into Jerusalem as the sacrificial lamb of God, Jesus rode on that foal of a beast of burden. It was a lowly animal meant to be ridden by servants and to carry the loads of mankind. And I can tell you that's exactly what Jesus was wanting to be known as. He was the one willing to carry the burden as the servant of God, the holy servant of God. So Palm Sunday, it occurred one week before the resurrection, just five days before the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. And within those five days, people would go from cheering to jeering, calling for his crucifixion, because they did not think that he met their expectation. They had it all together wrong. That's why knowing from what you must be saved is so important. Because if you're setting Jesus up to be the Savior for you, that you might be financially set, physically well, Happy ever after. If you're setting him up for that, you'll turn to jeers too. He is far more. And he offers you far more than that. That brings us to our response. What is our response? The Romans got it wrong, the Jews got it wrong, you and I must get it right. What is our response? Well, I think our response is first to know what we need to be saved from. I need to be saved from sin. I needed to be saved from the judgment of God, the condemnation of God. I needed to be set free from hell. And I knew when I heard the gospel, I knew that Jesus was the only opportunity for me to be rescued. And my response was, I trust Jesus. What about yours? Do you know from what you must be saved? Do you know what is coming? What er- already is upon you? And would you surrender and trust in Jesus Christ, forsake all others, and follow him? Know that Jesus is that Lamb of God. Now remember, the depiction of the Israelites, remembering that first Passover, the blood of a spotless lamb slain and placed all over the door entrance, on the sides and on the lentil, covering, if you will, by faith with blood so that God's judgment would pass over those Israelites on that final plague. Now Jesus is entering and he will shed his blood John had already pointed him out. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus in shedding his blood will place that blood over us by faith. We will be washed and God's judgment will be lifted from us when we trust him. Our response is so crucial. As a way of demonstrating our response in faith for those of you who have given your lives to Christ. Our communion, the Lord's Supper, is a great expression of just acknowledging what God has done and the faith that we have in him. Our deacons are moving in place, and for those who don't have a cup holder in the seat in front of you, uh, you'll find them down low or you'll find them in the middle of the seat. And just pass those as... You see people in need. Listen to these words as Jesus and his disciples were eating. The scripture says that Jesus took bread and after he blessed it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. When Paul was teaching the church about this, in which you and I are about to participate, he said, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. As Jesus was riding that colt on Palm Sunday, with his heart given as the suffering servant, knowing he would lay his life down and take it up again. As he was riding that beast of burden into that place, he knew he would come again. He would enter into Jerusalem again, oh not in that lifetime. it would be in a time to come. In fact, we know that Jesus will once more ride into Jerusalem, but it won't be on a, an animal of servitude. It would be instead the heavens, as Revelation 19 says, will open. And Jesus, who is called faithful and true, will ride on a white horse. And the Bible states in that chapter that the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure will follow him on white horses. I want to be in that army. I want to be with that commander. And with the words of his mouth, he will strike down the nations and rule them with an iron rod. He's establishing a thousand year millennial reign. And on that day, it will be clear, he is king of kings and lord of lords. There's the answer. Who is Jesus? He is King of kings and Lord of lords, who willfully gave his body to be broken, bearing our sin and God's great justice against it. He was the King, of King and Lord of lords when he spilt his blood that we might be washed clean, justified by him. So Lord, We thank you for this reminder of Jesus' body, of Jesus' blood, and all that transpires when we put our faith and trust in him. Blessed be the name of the Son of David. Blessed be Jesus. Amen. Some of you have yet to trust